So we get, when did, when did we meet? Two years ago, three, three years ago? Four, maybe? I think it may have been four. Four? Yep. This, is, this is my brother, in case you can't see the family resemblance. We definitely resemble each other. This is one of my favorite people on this planet because this is one of the people who, uh, you know, like, okay, so we joke, I'm Sam and I'm, I'm Sam and I'm excited. This is one of the few people who I'm like, man, he's got too much energy. He needs to calm down. So we, we clicked when we met for the first time, man. Something just resonated. Um, and, you know, we've been doing the Alliance 40 Days of Prayer. And if you've been paying attention, this week would have been evangelism. But due to Stan's schedule, we wanted to give Stan a chance to, to share with us this morning about what God has done in his life. So we'll actually be jumping ahead to next week's topic, and that's Jesus' heart for marginalized people and Jesus' heart for the outcast. And Stan uh, didn't know Jesus for a good portion of his life, wasn't even sure if he was real. And Stan wound up incarcerated in, in Richland. And in the middle of a 10-on-1 gang fight, when Stan had nobody else who was for him, Jesus was for him. And Jesus grabbed Stan in the middle of this gang fight and through divine intervention changed Stan where he was situated within Richland. And he put him in a section of the prison that Stan shouldn't have been in. You had five, you had five years left on a sentence. This was a section that was not for people with that much longer. But Jesus moved Stan across the system and put him across the hall from a man who believed deeply in Jesus and began to disciple Stan. And Jesus grabbed a hold of Stan's heart while he was incarcerated. And now he's working in ministry, which is just awesome. Um, he's married to his beautiful wife, Erica, almost two years, right? Coming up on April. Yeah, absolutely. They have a daughter on the way, which is exciting. But really, we get to hear from, you know, when you consider Jesus' heart for the marginalized, this morning we get to hear from the Samaritan woman at the well. We get to hear from the leper. We get to hear from the people who society had kind of washed their hands of and were done with. And Jesus wasn't done with them. And that's Stan's story. So we're excited for him to share about Jesus' heart for the marginalized. Amen. And I'm, and I'm glad you're here. It's a blessing to be here, man. Well, man, let's give the Lord a holy hand clap for the worship band. Man, that worship is amazing. I felt like I was at home. I literally feel like family in this place. So I pray that you guys feel comfortable and loose. I'm from a household of faith where if you feel like the spirit's moving you to dance, you can cut a jig. I won't be offended. If you want to give an amen and a hand clap, you can do that as well. I am very, very much a go with the spirit kind of guy. So feel free to just embrace and, and, and sit in his presence and enjoy what God has. And so I want to first and foremost bestow honor where honor is due. I want to thank Jesus Christ, who is the head of my life, for even allowing this opportunity to be here today. Um, truthfully, without his transforming, redeeming power, there would be no testimony for me to share with you all today. He is the one who pulled me out of what I like to call the miry muck and set my feet on a solid rock to stay. Some of my seasoned saints understand that. Can I get an amen from the seasoned saints in here? Okay, praise God. Uh, um, and then, you know, I also want to bestow honor to the elders, the elders who fervently behind the scenes are praying. They're, they're coming in with an anointing. I got to meet one of them this morning who was just a gift to my soul. And the role of eldership is nothing to take light. That is something that is a very heavy call from God himself, but it's something that 
I'm sure they would say embrace joyfully. So I want to thank the elders for allowing me the opportunity to come and share here at Community Bible. I also want to thank the pastors of this place. I want to thank Pastor Sam and Adeline for just allowing me to be here and my wife as well to share what God has laid on our hearts um, for you guys. And then I also, last but not least, got to thank the most amazing, better part of me, my beautiful, gorgeous wife, who just day in, day out, when nobody sees the, the war that I'm going through, the spiritual fights that I'm going through, tears being shed, she's the one who's holding me, praying for me, praying with me, over me, wiping the tears away, and then puts me back here where I can be able to share what God has done in our lives. So I just want to bestow honor where honor is due. And so I'm going to kind of go a little bit deeper into my story, um, and then we're going to jump right into the text. So we're talking about the marginalized today. To be honest, I was that guy that if you asked where my place was in society, I wasn't sure. So what I did at the age of 12 is I created my own place. I started a gang. I said, you know what? My mom, she's a single mother. She's doing the best that she can. She worked from five in the morning to one in the morning, Monday through Sunday, to try to provide for us. And so, of course, that left the streets that were there to raise me. I grew up in Sandusky, Ohio, if anybody's familiar with Cedar Point. Um, I always have roller coaster jokes as life analogies. I say it's a bunch of hills and valleys, twists and turns, but in the end, I pray you enjoy it. Um, just like a roller coaster ride, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, growing up there, my mother gave it everything she had. Prior to me being in prison, my mother wasn't a believer. So I never grew up in church. I never seen a Bible. I never seen anybody pray. I didn't know what that looked like. And so in and out of the juvenile detention home growing up from the age of 10, uh, I, I was released from prison in 2017 um, and then released from parole in 2019. Um, my whole life had consisted of being marginalized, of being on the fringes of society. But yet and still, Jesus wasn't done with me. And he pursued me in the midst of my marginalization. And so I share that as a glimmer of how Jesus pursues every one of us. And we're going to learn today a little bit more about what it means to be marginalized and how Jesus leaves the 99 for the one. And so I'm going to just start off with prayer and ask God's help upon this service, because if it's me, it's going to suck. If it's him, it's going to be good. Amen. So let's pray and ask God's hand to be upon this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for each and every person, each and every family represented here this morning who barreled through this snow just to be here to hear from you. Lord, we ask that you would have your way for the remainder of this service. We truly thank you for the hand upon worship. And we ask, Lord, that your words would be the words communicated. Anything that's of me, may it be cast to the side and may you be able to speak clearly to the hearts of your people so that, Lord, they may come to see you and know you and be in relationship with you in a deep and intimate way. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, as Sam said, we are family. Um, we have a kindred spirit in that we like quotes. And so I have a quote from Mr. Albert Einstein. Does anybody know who Albert Einstein is? 
Okay, okay, can I get a raise of hands if you know? Okay, praise God. I see my kids over there. They know who he is. Hallelujah. Um, so Albert Einstein, I wouldn't necessarily say that he's a believer, but he had a great quote that I think was relevant for marginalization. And he says that the world is a dangerous place, not because of those who do evil, but because of those who look on and do nothing. That hit me when I read that quote as I was praying and preparing for today. The reality of it is the world, we see the brokenness, we see the darkness, we see sinfulness. And I don't know about you guys, but my tendency is to lean into my comfort zone to get into that place that I call home with my wife and close the doors and not be affected or impacted by the dangerous place we call the world. But I think it's because we do that, that the place we call earth is dangerous. Because we close our doors and we want to be comfortable and we want to be in these safe zones, that is the very reason why this world is dangerous. Because there's nobody pursuing the marginalized. There's nobody willing to run into the areas of darkness and chaos and brokenness. That is why our world is a dangerous place. And so many of us, we hear this term marginalized, and I don't know about you, but some pictures come to mind. I think of, um, you know, Sometimes third world countries, right? Is that, is that safe to say when we hear the term marginalized, we think of third world countries? Maybe, maybe you're like my wife and you think of starving and poor children when you hear the term marginalized. Kids that are very, very skinny to the point where you can see their bones. This kid here looks very malnourished. I think of him when I think of marginalization. Sometimes it's the disease-infested countries and communities that represent marginalization. Or maybe, maybe you're like this young man who's by this graffiti-painted wall, and you think of him when you think of marginalization. But I would venture to say that rarely do we ever think of individuals that are close to us, and dare I even say, ourselves. Rarely do I ever think of myself as a marginalized person. Even in the midst of prison, did I ever think of myself as marginalized. But see, being marginalized is not something that we as believers should shy away from. Rather, it's the stigma of marginalization that we should run into with boldness, courage, and expectation. You say, Stan, how in the world can I do that? Well, because the Spirit of God is working through you and is drawing those who are on the fringes, the marginalized by society, into a relationship with him. It is the spirit of God drawing them, the, those on the fringes, even ourselves, into the flock of sheep that God calls his own. See, that's exactly what motivated Jesus to the cross. While you and I we're still sinners. The motivating factor wasn't 
what I could do for that person. Jesus didn't think about what can I do for that individual? How can I how can I do it? He did it because he loved us. So I want to start by defining the term marginalization, because we hear these big, catchy words and we're like, what does that even mean? We got pictures, but what does it mean? To be marginalized means to be treated as insignificant or peripheral. Most of us being honest in this room, we've either been treated this way or even even maybe if you're like me, have treated some this way. You know, maybe it's that high school kid that doesn't hang with the group of friends that we hang with. We treat them as insignificant or peripheral. Or maybe, maybe you're a working family and, and, and you got a job and there's that coworker who's always going the extra mile. And we call them a brown noser. Anybody else in here guilty of that? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to confess my sins before my brothers and sisters. I do it. I do it. <laughs> and I still do it. So, Lord, forgive me of that. Or maybe, 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 maybe it's the very people who make bad decisions and we write them off as a lost cause because they went to prison, because they suffer from addiction, or simply they don't even know how to keep a job. Maybe we treat them as insignificant or peripheral. See, marginalizing people assumes that someone should act a certain way based on the stereotypes that we attribute to them because of the characteristics of their identity. That's how we marginalize people. We begin to treat somebody based on the assumption that somebody will act a certain way because of the stereotypes we attribute them. And I praise the Lord for whoever is doing that. I thank you for operating those slides, because I will forget. So marginalizing people assumes that someone should act a certain way based on the stereotypes that we attribute to them. Here are some examples to help make that a little bit more plain. You know, men thinking that women are weak and that they can't lift heavy things. That's a stereotype. Women thinking that all men are dogs. That's a stereotype. Somebody, somebody understand that. Somebody understood that. Somebody understood that. Or thinking that all people in prison continue living the way they did when they went into prison. Maybe, maybe you're like me, a young, young whippersnapper in the room, and we think all old people are unteachable. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. Or maybe, maybe the older generation thinking that the young generation is a lost cause and doesn't want to be a part of the church. Those are examples of marginalization. But I, I, I declare today that as Christians, as Christians, those who believe in Jesus, who pursues the marginalized, who leaves the 99 for the one, that we are called to pursue peace. We are the ones who should be running into the places of darkness and brokenness and hopelessness with the message of Jesus 
Christ, the good news that there is a savior. And I'm sorry, but I'm excited because, man, that is good news to somebody like me who was down and out and society had forgotten about. But Jesus didn't forget about me. That's good news to somebody who grew up in a single parent household and didn't even think that his mother acknowledged he was present. That's good news that Jesus sees me. Turn with me to Matthew chapter five, verse nine. I promise we're going to get into the word. I joke with the kids all the time. I call this my Cadillac. I'm a Cadillac guy. I love Cadillacs. And they're the, they're the most beautiful, smooth ride you can find. I think my Bible is like my Cadillac. I like to get in there and cruise a little bit, just journey through the text a little bit, see what God's up to, roll around the neighborhood in Judea and Jerusalem and hang out with Jesus a little bit, kick it with Peter and Paul and so I call this my Cadillac. This one right here, I think, is more like uh, my Ford Fiesta. This one's a little smaller, so I call that my Ford Fiesta. Matthew chapter 5. And we're in verse 9. And I, I ask us to dive into this text because I think Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking to a whole array of people. People of all places, all ethnicities, all cities, all of that. I think he was talking to all people. But there were specific people who grabbed hold to what he said in this text. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? The children of God. Jump with me to Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. And this is Paul talking to a church in Rome. Think about Roman Empire back then, right? Like literally, you know, I, they, were, they were doing, you know, they were crucifying people. They were putting them on poles and burning them that were saying that they were Christians. And this is what Paul calls us to do in Romans chapter 14, verse 19. He says, so then let us pursue. Does that sound like we should be retreating into the comfort of our own homes, closing the doors? That doesn't sound like that, does it? It says pursue. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Two chapters to the left, so roll with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 19. He says this. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Mm. It's so easy to do to somebody as they do unto me. I, I could do that real good. I could do that real well. But he says, repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So kids, would you do that if your mama was in the room or your daddy was in the room? Would you, would you, would you, would you do what you were about to do? Mom, dad, would you, would you do what you were about to do if grandma was in the room? Verse 18, if possible, if possible, 
See, I think Paul, man, he's so gracious, man, in how he addresses us. He says, if possible, he understands there's situations where, man, pursuing peace just ain't, just ain't going to happen. But if possible, he says, so far as it depends on who? On you. He says, man, you can't control what other people do, but you can control how you respond. You may not be able to control the circumstances, but you can control how you respond. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. My first point, my first point is that pursuing peace means reaching out. Peace means reaching out to the, to the marginalized. Ephesians 2, 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It is in this call to pursue peace that we identify reaching out to the marginalized is part of pursuing peace with all. It is in this call in Ephesians 2.13 that we are to pursue peace with all, doing what is honorable, what is mutual for upbuilding as the children of God. See, if we who were once far off were brought near by the blood of Christ, how much more so should we be drawing others nigh by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are on the fringes? See, knowing that with peacemakers and the pursuing of peace, there's a work involved. There's a work involved. Right. If we're pursuing something and we're doing that, which is mutual for upbuilding and, and we're peacemaking, not just peace recipients, we're peacemaking. There's some work involved in that. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they should be called the children of God. See, there's a work that's involved and it involves a mutual beneficial engagement between two people. That's what peace is, right? There's a, there's a benefit to peace. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. I told you this is like my Cadillac. You're going to wear this baby out today. There's going to be some mud on them tires today. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. He says, for in him, him being Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. See, Jesus didn't put on, you know, God didn't put on clothes and call him Jesus, right? He, he was pleased to dwell in that, that human flesh. He was pleased to dwell in the personhood of Jesus Christ. He says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. See that reconciliation piece. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, I don't know about you, but when I watch the passion of the Christ, there's a work involved. There was something that Jesus had to pursue that wasn't easy. There was a work involved to the point where Jesus is in the garden sweating drops of blood, thinking about what lied ahead. I don't know about you, I have a hard work day, but I ain't never dropped sweat that was blood. 
thinking about my work day ahead. Ephesians 2.13, as we just read, is that, you know, we were once far off, but we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so I challenge us to think about this, that even when the benefactors of this peacemaking and the pursuit of peace may not be totally understanding of the peace that we're pursuing and making on their behalf, we are still called to pursue and make that peace regardless of the recipient's response to our efforts. Think about if Jesus would have thought about how we would have responded to his sacrifice on the cross and said, man, they ain't going to receive it as I want them to. I'm good. I ain't going to bear that. I ain't going to go through that work because the recipients, not everybody's going to respond well. Hmm. See, this peace that Jesus made in reconciling us back to God is a peace that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, is said, it surpasses all understanding. You and I don't even know what that peace really is. It surpasses all understanding. And if you say all understanding, that means I don't care if you Albert Einstein or if you little old me in Richland Correctional Institution, it surpasses our understanding. And that according to John chapter 14, verse 27, is a peace that's not as the world gives. And so I think regardless of how the marginalized respond, understand, or even receive our efforts of peacemaking and pursuing peace as followers of Jesus, we cannot allow that to detour us from the pursuit of making and pursuing peace because it didn't Jesus. So my second point that I really want us to hone in on is that biblical peace is different than worldly peace. Pursuing peace means reaching the marginalized, but biblical peace is different than worldly peace. And so as we shared a little bit earlier in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus told his disciples as he was getting ready to face the death of the cross. He says this, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And then he says this as an encouragement. Let not your hearts be troubled. I praise God that he spoke those words. Neither let them be afraid. Now, I, uh, I venture to say, I, me and my wife, we... We love being able to host people at our apartment. We got an apartment right now in the process of getting a house. Uh, we got a baby on carriage, and so, you know, she's coming any day now, and so we got to expand a little space. But we love hosting people at our house. She loves to show them hospitality and cook for them and love on them and pray for them and get invited into their lives for a little bit. But imagine if my dinner table wasn't a place of peace, but it was a place, rather, where we said, I'm, I'm, I'm scared who, what they're going to do. I'm scared that, you know, somebody from downtown, urban city, Canton, Ohio, somebody who just got released from Richland Correctional Institution, I'm scared what they might do in my house. I ain't going to let them come in. I think that's why Jesus spoke this. I think that's why Jesus says, man, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. See, this piece 
is totally different than the world gives. And it's a peace that allows our hearts to be filled with power, with love, and a sound mind. See, this is the kind of peace that Jesus gives to you and I. It fills us with power. It fills us with courage. It fills us with boldness. It fills us with the ability to be able to step out in love, not in, in retreat and fear. And to have a sound mind. They call that discernment. Being able to recognize right from wrong and being able to be attuned to what, what's going on. See, it's a peace that comes from God himself in the form of God, the Holy Spirit. Dwelling in you and I, teaching us and bringing us all things back to our remembrance. John chapter 14, the verse right before the verse we just read talks about how the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us in all truth and brings all things back to our remembrance. So the definition of biblical peace is found in the translation of the Greek word. Do we have any Greek scholars in here? Okay, okay, good. I'm just making sure I'm in the room with kindred spirits because I'm not a Greek scholar either. Praise God. <laughs> um, the, but biblical peace is found in the translation of the Greek word in which it is used in the oldest transcripts of the Bible. That word is shalom. That word is shalom. That sounds so sophisticated. It just makes me want to start saying it all the time. Shalom, brother, shalom, sister, shalom. <laughs> but shalom is this idea of completeness. It's the idea of wholeness. And it means that there has to be a recipient of this shalom or this peace that is broken, that's incomplete, and in need of restoration. Right? How can I be completed or made whole if I'm not broken? That's like saying, man, a lamp needs fixed that ain't never fell over and broke. You ain't going to fix a lamp that ain't broke. And so because this definition of biblical peace is totally different than the world's definition of peace, it means that our path to pursuing this peace, true peace, biblical peace, is different than the world's path of pursuing peace. Let me, let, me, let me define what worldly peace means. I looked this up in uh, Merriam-Webster, and this is what they said peace was. It is simply the freedom from disturbance. The freedom from disturbance. And I, I venture to say that a lot of what we see is because, man, we are pursuing the world's form of peace. I don't want to be disturbed with Stan's life after he came home from prison. I don't want to venture into that. I don't want to be disturbed by somebody who's on the street corner holding up a sign asking for money for food. I don't want to be disturbed by somebody who's a victim of human trafficking. I don't want to be disturbed by the problems that the marginalized are experiencing. And so what we do is we advocate for this kind of peace, for us not to be bothered or be disturbed by the problems of the marginalized, not to be disturbed with the pursuit of peace or making the peace for others, to you know, encourage ourselves to just be silent, to not say anything at all, to not care. 
And I don't know if I can be real, but sometimes it pushes me to a place where I don't even want to reach out to the marginalized as a Christ follower. Because I just don't want to be disturbed. Because that's what worldly peace looks like. But see, this is why I believe Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 27, says that the peace he gives us who put our faith and trust in him is not as the world gives. Because if that is the peace that Jesus gave us, he wouldn't have pursued the cross for us. Rather, it's a peace that restores, that builds up, that guides, that comforts, that encourages. It's a peace that is actively present in the lives of us, those who were once far off, marginalized from God and brought near by the blood of Christ. It's the pursuit of peace and the making of peace with God for us. That's what Jesus did for you and I. And if Jesus ventured off and filled us with that same peace, we should be doing that for our brothers and sisters who are marginalized, whether they're in Richland Correctional Institution or they're sitting in downtown Mansfield or sleeping on a bench. I know a sister that I, every time I see her, I stop and pray with her. She, she carries a big old bundle of blankets and she rolls that cart. And every time I see her, I say, sister, can I pray for you? What can I help you with today? Do you need some food? But if I was pursuing worldly peace, I'd say I can't be disturbed with her issues today. But because I know Jesus pursued me when I was far from Christ, I'm going to pursue her, even though she may never understand what I'm doing on her behalf. And so I'm going I'm to I'm call on my seasoned saints in the room to say that. Does anybody remember the saying that the world did not give us this peace? so the world can't take it away. Does anybody remember those colloquialisms back in the day? There's this old saying from my seasoned church mothers. I'm from a church where, man, they, they literally, they'd be running around the room, all types of stuff. And I'd be like, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> but it was fun. They, got, they, they call it getting caught in the Holy Ghost and all of that, and so praise God for that. But they used to say, the world didn't give it, so the world can't take it. That's what my seasoned church mothers used to say. The world ain't giving, so the world can't take it. And so I believe that as Christians, we weren't given a peace from the world. We were given a peace from God. And if the world didn't give us this peace, then the world can't take it. So no matter what issue somebody may be facing, no matter how much it may disturb the course of your life, look, I got to testify. On the way here, there was a car wreck. Car slammed into a pole. Police hadn't arrived. Ambulance hadn't arrived. Had I said, man, I just cannot be disturbed, that brother may have never received help. But instead, we, by the grace of God, it ain't no other way that I would have done this because I would have just kept going. I decided to pull over. I said, hey, you know, let me make sure the brother's all right. Brother had a bleeding nose. Ambulance was on the way. And we were able to at least pursue peace to make sure he was complete and whole. And then we came on our merry way. See, this is why we are called by God to reach the marginalized, to reach the lost, to reach the broken and the cast offs 
in our community. Because if Jesus did it for you and me, how can we turn our nose up at somebody else and say, man, they're not good enough for that? They're not good enough for me to reach out and pursue peace on their behalf. They're not good enough for me to make peace on their behalf. If Jesus did it for you and me, and he gave us this peace that we can do it with, we should be running into these areas of brokenness. We should be running into the Richland Correctional Institutions and Mansfield uh, uh, prisons. And we should be running into the places of downtown Mansfield and even Shelby. Shelby. I know, some, I know some brothers and sisters in Shelby, Ohio, who sleep at the parks, that we should be running to them, drawing them nigh unto Christ by sharing the gospel, by pursuing and making peace and bringing them back to completeness and wholeness, restoring them. Why? Because Jesus, as our perfect example, did the same thing for you and I. Laying down his life on our behalf so that we who place our faith in him for the payment of our sins may be reconciled back unto God. My last and final point, Jesus, he is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6 is where this idea comes to play as Isaiah positioned this before us to say that he is our Prince of Peace. But Colossians 1, 16 through 17, I think is relevant for you and I. Because he says this, he says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. That means, yes, even the people sleeping on the park benches were created by and through him. Yes, they were. People in Richland Correctional Institution were created by and through him. People at the homeless shelter were created by and through him. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. If you ever have a question, should I share the gospel with this individual? I think this answers our question. All things were created through him and for him. And it goes on and it says, he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. It is only by us first receiving the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ that we can fully embrace the peace that Jesus himself offers to you and I. I will challenge you to not pursue and make peace on behalf of somebody else if you haven't allowed Jesus to pursue and make peace on your own behalf. Because how can you give something you ain't got? You ain't got peace with you and God. So how are you going to try to give it to somebody else? Before we can share peace by pursuing and making that peace, we must allow Jesus to make peace for us with God. We do that by accepting his death, his burial, and his resurrection as the payment for our sin, which 
By the way, we deserved a holy wrath. <laughs> we deserved a holy wrath from a holy God for. We were at enmity with God. I want us to be mindful of that. Maybe, 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 maybe you are aware of that, but we were at enmity with God. We were his enemies. And total rebellion and strife against God and his ways when we were in our sin. Just so you know that. But God, and I love that saying because God, he reconciled us and restored us back to a right standing through who? Jesus. Praise God. I, I thank the Lord for the believers in this room. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 5, verses 10 through 11 will unfold this for us. And this is what the Bible says. It says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. This here is showing us the illustration of how Jesus's resurrection was a foreshadow or a first fruit of the new life that you and I would have as we put our faith and trust in Jesus. We have now been saved by his life to live a new life. He goes on to say this, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What we all need, no matter if we're in Richland Correctional Institution, I know some people who are CEOs of First Energy. I know people who sleep on park benches and I know people who come to church every single Sunday for 30 years straight. All we need is to have peace with our creator, God, just to be clear, who created the heavens and the earth and everything therein. And see, I want us to be mindful that we didn't pursue this on our own. No, no. The Bible says clearly that we were dead in our trespasses. And I don't know about you. I haven't never walked into a morgue. And I'm sure if, if I did, they, if I had a life-giving needle, I had the life in, in this needle, in this syringe. And I said, who, who, who in here wants to be brought back to life? Do you think, who do you think would raise their hand? Nobody. They can't. They're dead. That's how we were in our trespasses. We couldn't, we couldn't pursue and make peace with God. We were dead. But Jesus pursued and made peace on our behalf. And he made this peace possible to all who place their faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins. What we all needed, Jesus did, and he pursued it on our behalf. And as his followers, those who are being transformed more and more into his image and likeness, he calls us to pursue the same. And he calls us to do it by the power of his Holy Spirit, giving peace, not as the world gives, but through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I close with this thought. 
Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through 19, and I declare this over every one of you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The same spirit that was in Jesus as he quoted this text is now upon those who accept him as Lord and Savior, empowering us to proclaim the same good news to the poor, to proclaim the same liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. So maybe today you're sitting here hearing the good news of this peace that God gave us in Christ for the first time, I urge you, receive this peace that the world does not give and that surpasses all understanding. Accept this peace and watch how God will edify you, build you up, encourage you in the hard times because we've all faced them and keep you in the trying times. This is the peace that we are called to pursue and make. And it only starts when we accept the one who pursued and made it on our behalf. So that we too, by the power of the Spirit, can reach the marginalized with the good news that they too can be reconciled unto God. Let's pray. Heavenly, merciful, gracious, and good, good Father, we thank you that you pursued peace and made peace on our behalf. Today, Lord, we accept that peace. We receive that peace. That's not as the world gives, and that surpasses all understanding. Father, I pray that today those who have accepted and received that peace, they would charge forth as good soldiers in Jesus Christ to pursue and make peace on behalf of the marginalized, that we wouldn't just engulf people with the stereotypes we attribute to them, but that we would, by way of the gospel, allow them to be brought nigh into the fold and flock of your children. Father, we thank you that this peace is available to all who say yes to Jesus. And it is when we say yes to Jesus, your spirit fills us to fullness and to overflowing, that we too may pursue and make peace on behalf of those who are in need of reconciliation. So Lord, I ask that on today, we would leave this place, but never from your presence, filled with your spirit, able to pursue and make peace to those who have been marginalized and to bring them nigh into the flock of God as children of God. In Jesus' name, amen.